This is Chapter Thirty Four of Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc by Mark Twain, Volume Two, Book Two, Chapter Thirty Four: The Jests of the Burgundians. The campaign of the Loire had as good as opened the road to Reims. There was no sufficient reason now why the coronation should not take place. The coronation would complete the mission which Joan had received from heaven, and then she would be forever done with war, and would fly home to her mother and her sheep, and never stir from the hearthstone and happiness any more. That was her dream. And she could not rest, she was so impatient to see it fulfilled. She became so possessed with this matter that I began to lose faith in her two prophecies of her early death. And, of course, when I found that faith wavering, I encouraged it to waver all the more. The king was afraid to start to Reims, because the road was mile-posted with English fortresses, so to speak. Joan held them in light esteem, and not things to be afraid of in the existing modified condition of English confidence. And she was right. As it turned out, the march to Reims was nothing but a holiday excursion. Joan did not even take any artillery along, she was so sure it would not be necessary. We marched from Gion twelve thousand strong. This was the twenty-ninth of June. The maid rode by the side of the king. On his other side was the Duc d'Alencon. After the duke followed three other princes of the blood. After these followed the bastard of Orléans, the marshal de Boussac, and the admiral of France. After these came Laïre, Saint-Tray, Tremouille, and a long procession of knights and nobles. We rested three days before Auxerre, the city provisioned the army, and a deputation waited upon the king. But we did not enter the place. Saint-Florentine opened its gates to the king. On the 4th of July we reached Saint-Fal, and yonder lay Troyes before us, a town which had a burning interest for us boys, for we remembered how seven years before, in the pastures of Domremy, the sunflower came with his black flag and brought us the shameful news of the Treaty of Troyes that treaty which gave France to England, and a daughter of our royal line in marriage to the butcher of Agincourt. That poor town was not to blame, of course, yet we flushed hot with that old memory, and hoped there would be a misunderstanding here, for we dearly wanted to storm the place and burn it. It was powerfully garrisoned by English and Burgundian soldiery, and was expecting reinforcements from Paris. Before night we camped before its gates, and made rough work with a sortie which marched out against us. Joan summoned Troyes to surrender. Its commandant, seeing that she had no artillery, scoffed at the idea, and sent her a grossly insulting reply. Five days we consulted and negotiated. No result. The king was about to turn back now and give up. He was afraid to go on, leaving this strong place in his rear. Then La Hire put in a word, with a slap in it for some of his majesty's advisers. The maid of Orléans undertook this expedition of her own motion, and it is my mind that it is her judgment that should be followed here, and not that of any other, let him be of whatsoever breed and standing he may. There was wisdom and righteousness in that. So the king sent for the maid, and asked her how she thought the prospect looked. She said, without any tone of doubt or question in her voice, "'In three days' time the place is ours.' The smug chancellor put in a word now. If we were sure of it, we would wait her six days. Six days, forsooth. Name of God, man, we will enter the gates to-morrow. Then she mounted and rode her lines, crying out, 
make preparation to your work friends to your work we assault at dawn she worked hard that night slaving away with her own hands like a common soldier she ordered fascines and faggots to be prepared and thrown into the fosse thereby to bridge it and in this rough labor she took a man's share at dawn she took her place at the head of the storming force and the bugles blew the assault at that moment a flag of truce was flung to the breeze from the walls and troy surrendered without firing a shot the next day the king with joan at his side and the paladin bearing her banner entered the town in state at the head of the army and a goodly army it was now for it had been growing ever bigger and bigger from the first and now a curious thing happened by the terms of the treaty made with the town the garrison of english and burgundian soldiery were to be allowed to carry away their goods with them this was well for otherwise how would they buy the wherewithal to live very well these people were all to go out by the one gate and at the time set for them to depart we young fellows went to that gate along with the dwarf to see the march out presently here they came in an interminable file the foot soldiers in the lead as they approached one could see that each bore a burden of a bulk and weight to sorely tax his strength and we said among ourselves truly these folk are well off for poor common soldiers when they were come nearer what do you think every rascal of them had a french prisoner on his back they were carrying away their goods you see their property strictly according to the permission granted by the treaty now think how clever that was how ingenious what could a body say what could a body do for certainly these people were within their right these prisoners were property nobody could deny that my dears if those had been english captives conceive of the richness of that booty for english prisoners had been scarce and precious for a hundred years whereas it was a different matter with french prisoners they had been overabundant for a century the possessor of a french prisoner did not hold him long for ransom as a rule but presently killed him to save the cost of his keep this shows how small was the value of such a possession in those times when we took troy a calf was worth thirty francs a sheep sixteen a french prisoner eight it was an enormous price for those other animals a price which naturally seems incredible to you it was the war you see it worked two ways it made meat dear and prisoners cheap well here were these poor frenchmen being carried off what could we do very little of a permanent sort but we did what we could we sent a messenger flying to joan and we and the french guards halted the procession from our parley to gain time you see a big burgundian lost his temper and swore a great oath that none should stop him he would go and would take his prisoner with him but we blocked him off and he saw that he was mistaken about going he couldn't do it he exploded into the maddest cursings and revilings then and unlashing his prisoner from his back stood him up all bound and helpless then drew his knife and said to us with a light of sarcastic triumph in his eye i may not carry him away you say yet he is mine none will dispute it since i may not convey him hence this property of mine there is another way yes i can kill him not even the dullest among you will question that right ah you had not thought of that vermin that poor starved fellow begged us with his piteous eyes to save him then spoke and said he had a wife and little children at home think how it wrung our heartstrings but what could we do the burgundian was within his right we could only beg and plead for the prisoner 
which we did, and the Burgundian enjoyed it. He stayed his hand to hear more of it, and laugh at it. That stung. Then the dwarf said, "'Prithee, young sirs, let me beguile him, for when a matter requiring permission is to the fore, I have indeed a gift in that sort, as any will tell you that know me well. You smile, and that is punishment for my vanity, and fairly earned, I grant you. Still, if I may toy a little, just a little,' saying which he stepped to the Burgundian and began a fair soft speech, all of goodly and gentle tenor, and in the midst he mentioned the maid, and was going on to say how she out of her good heart would prize and praise this compassionate deed which he was about to. It was as far as he got. The Burgundian burst into his smooth oration with an insult leveled at Joan of Arc. We sprang forward, but the dwarf, his face all livid, brushed us aside and said in a most grave and earnest way, "'I crave your patience. Am not I her guard of honor? This is my affair.' And saying this, he suddenly shot his right hand out and gripped the great Burgundian by the throat, and so held him upright on his feet. "'You have insulted the maid,' he said, "'and the maid is France. The tongue that does that earns a long furlough.' One heard the muffled cracking of bones. The Burgundian's eyes began to protrude from their sockets and stare with a leaden dullness at vacancy. The color deepened in his face and became an opaque purple. His hands hung down limp, his body collapsed with a shiver, every muscle relaxed its tension and ceased from its function. The dwarf took away his hand, and the column of inert mortality sank mushily to the ground. We struck the bonds from the prisoner and told him he was free. His crawling humbleness changed to frantic joy in a moment, and his ghastly fear to a childish rage. He flew at that dead corpse and kicked it, spat in its face, danced upon it, crammed mud into its mouth, laughing, jeering, cursing, and volleying forth indecencies and bestialities like a drunken fiend. It was a thing to be expected. Soldiering makes few saints. Many of the onlookers laughed. Others were indifferent. None was surprised. But presently, in his mad caperings, the freedman capered within reach of the waiting file, and another Burgundian promptly slipped a knife through his neck, and down he went with a death-shriek, his brilliant artery blood spurting ten feet as straight and bright as a ray of light. There was a great burst of jolly laughter all around from friend and foe alike, and thus closed one of the pleasantest incidents of my checkered military life. And now came Joan hurrying and deeply troubled. She considered the claim of the garrison, then said, "'You have right upon your side. It is plain. It was a careless word to put in the treaty, and covers too much. But ye may not take these poor men away. They are French, and I will not have it. The king shall ransom them every one. Wait till I send you word from him, and hurt no hair of their heads. For I tell you, I who speak, that that would cost you very dear. That settled it. The prisoners were safe for one while, anyway. Then she rode back eagerly, and required that thing of the king, and would listen to no paltering and no excuses. So the king told her to have her way, and she rode straight back, and bought the captives free in his name, and let them go. End of chapter 34